Hi guys, welcome back to My Steps to Sobriety, the show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. And today is another day for a great interview. I have got another really, really, really important guest for me um, because I am the dad of two young men. One of them today has flown the cuckoo nest, well, actually left home, shall I say, although Cuckoo nest is probably quite appropriate for our household, but that's another story. <laughs> so he has just left, but I'm left with one teenager. And yeah, of course, there are problems. And I have got Helen Wills with me, the teenage whisperer, um, the woman who, by necessity, um, has gone where most of us are struggling to go, actually understanding this beautiful, strange beast of a teenager. So Helen, I'm so, so, so pleased that you're on my show. Let's bounce this ball around and let's figure out, or let's learn from you what you figured out is important. Thank you for having me. What an introduction, <laughs> teenage whisperer. I love it. <laughs> it, is, it is one of the cha most challenging topics for us parents, because for me as a doctor, to deal with all kind of psychopathology is actually not so difficult. You know, it's I'm the doctor, this is the patient, easy. Now, I'm the dad, this is the son, and the same pathology. Oh boy, complete different, different. And uh, it is, I love my sons to bits. Let's get that out of the way. And they have driven me nuts at times. Let's get that out of the way too. And with that, hopefully you guys recognize out there that, yeah, you are not alone. And that's the reason I've invited Helen here to share with us a bit her journey. And I, mean, I guess, where did the journey start? I guess we started best with the birth of, of, of your firstborn. Um, so how old were you, may I ask, when you had your first child? Oh, um, 37. So cool. we we actually struggled to have our children, um, but got there in the end. 37 and then 40 for my next one. So I'm now 53, uh -huh. managing life with a almost 16-year-old and a just 13-year-old. So um, we're not quite ready. And I, I had a pang when you said uh, one of yours has just flown the nest because I already... My daughter is three years away from anything like university, but already I still feel that <laughs> that that pain of her leaving. I can't imagine anything worse after you've spent 18 years of your life raising someone to then just not see them. Mm. It is it is the most bizarre thing. Uh, absolutely, it is, <laughs> and it it's weird. I mean, I don't know about you, Helen, but. I, in the morning, sort of walk into the bathroom and switch the light on and look in the mirror and think, who are you? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm much younger in there. And, and <gasps> going with that, I can remember uh, the little one burping on my shoulder and then the warm slubber, the running on my it. shoulder. All that, you know, yeah. that was yesterday. It, it, mm -hmm. it feels like. But no, that is... Um, I was at university last week, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> so, that makes two of us. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
You started when you were in your mid thirties uh, with having uh, a child, and that is fraught with its own challenges and with its own dynamics compared with someone who starts much much younger. Let's say the extreme, a teenage pregnancy, who mm. will have complete different expectations, life experiences, etc. How do you see the role of the age of the mum? Uh, when it comes to dealing with teenagers down the line? Do you see it as more an advantage of having the maturity? Or is it more a disadvantage because maybe you're a little bit too old? Uh, <laughs> yeah, do you know what? I, I don't think there's any perfect age to be a parent. I, my um, my sister-in-law always says to me that she wished she'd had her children much, much younger mm. because she'd have had the energy and then she would have had time afterwards to have her own life. Equally, I had so much life before I had my kids and I don't regret that at all. But yeah, I'd love to have way more energy now. I collapse at the end of the night. In fact, my kids are up later than me most nights. And that's a thing that you learn to come to terms with, the fact that you're asleep and your kids are still living their lives, isn't it? That's such a strange feeling. When And this is one of the things I talk about a lot um, on my blog and in my podcast is... Um, just how difficult it is as a parent having had full control of your child's life at one point to gradually give up that control and hand it over completely to them eventually and I see so many parents of um, younger teenagers tweenagers just coming up to it really struggling with that concept it's it's a very difficult time. It's very challenging as a parent. And sorry, I've totally moved you on from the question no, that you no, asked. No, no, not me. at all, not at all. That's that's how an interview goes. There is no right, there is no right path. There is just us struggling and hopefully overcoming the struggles uh, by Always. by talking to each other and and uh, shedding light on on the fact that we are not alone in our feelings as parents. Yeah. And, you know, it is, you have got different experiences where I hopefully can learn from. And yours are certainly very positively framed, which is beautiful. Whilst many of my friends certainly just shaking their heads and think, oh my God. And I guess I'm in the middle somewhere. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, well, I, we're all on the same journey, aren't we? But we've all got different experiences because we've all got different kids. Mm. We're all different ages and we've all got different levels of experience. I feel like because I'm a bit older, I've had time to work through all the stuff that was difficult in me to be able to cope with the things that are difficult now raising my kids. So I was a very, very anxious parent. Um, going back to the fact that we struggled to have our children. Mm. Sorry. Were, were, you that anxious, was, were you an anxious teenager? I or don't were you think as a teenager? So. No, I don't think so. But looking back, I was a very high performing teenager, an academic. Um, I needed, wanted um, feedback. So I was one of those kids who was an A student. Not because I particularly enjoyed the subjects. I was an A student in everything because I needed the recognition of getting that A, of people saying, you know, all my reports say conscientious, diligent, 
um, hardworking, you know, and that that's what I've done all my life. I've wanted praise from other people. So looking back, although I wouldn't have identified it at the time as anxiety, maybe there was something there um, that I found difficult. I needed that feedback. And certainly I'm a perfectionist and have been all through my life, was as a, a newborn mother. And as you know, you cannot be a perfectionist with a new baby. <laughs> <laughs> you most women can't be anything with a new baby no <laughs> <laughs> the mummy brain is just such an amazing thing and the good news is of course it comes back after a year or two but uh, i haven't yet <laughs> met a, a woman who can say oh yeah i remember that well and it was just yeah it was it just just did it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think my sister-in-law probably did actually she's very chilled and she's now she's now a grandmother and she just gets on with it but no, yeah I think it's incredibly stressful <laughs> <laughs> she's bullshitting honestly maybe, <laughs> maybe uh, you're right so, okay and I guess your point is really 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 important because at some stage in our lives we as as individuals need to grow up and that growing up with that, I mean, to develop the emotional maturity, the, the true acceptance of your feelings, your recognition that feelings are normal and that there are healthy ways how to deal with it. And mm. that can take a little while. And with me, that yeah. was the mid-40s or early mm -hmm. 40s. Um, by the time I hit my lowest and finally stopped drinking and then had to deal with the emotions. So I'm a late starter from that angle. Now, uh, not too many people have got the advantages of being in a household where they are taught the good virtues, the healthy ways of dealing with it. Even if they are told and taught what to do, some of them choose to do the exact opposite because they are teenagers, because they want to live it out. And it's, it's yeah. just that craziness. So one way or the other, we all seem to be destined to stuff up somewhere yes. along the journey. And it's just amazing, isn't it? And I guess that there's one, one point already to accept that we are not living perfect, beautiful lives. We are... We are who we are. Yeah, totally. And um, I, yeah, I don't know if I've um, mentioned this before to you, Stefan, but um, I, the turning point for me in realizing that all this perfectionism to strive for the perfect life was, it was never going to happen. And I had to come to terms with that and be happy with the life that I had was um, my daughter, my daughter was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Did I tell you that previously? I did not, know. I did not know. No, so that's the thing that did it for me. And uh, this was six years ago, so I was in my late 40s too. Mm. Um, type 1 diabetes is a, is a hell of a life changer. It really, really is in so many ways. It impacts in every moment of every day and night while you're asleep. Blood sugar is a crazy animal that cannot be controlled. All it can, all you can do with it is manage it moment to moment. Um, and it 
it literally changed the whole family's life. And it's devastating when something terrible happens to your child because you have a dream for them that their life will be perfect. Just as you were saying, as you grow up, you, you imagine you'll have the perfect life and then things get in the way. You don't have the perfect life. You keep trying for the perfect life. And it's not until you realize that that doesn't exist that you can learn to appreciate life as it is. Um, but then you, you have a child and you you still fall victim to that. You still feel like this is where I can create the perfect life. I can give that to my child. And then your child doesn't get the perfect life in, in a dramatic way. It's a lot to come to terms with. And on top of that, there's um, kind of you feel ju- you do. You are judged by the outside world when you have a medical condition like that, because it's not uh, uh, well understood. People don't get it. People think it's a couple of injections, stop eating sweets, you'll be fine. And actually, you come to realize once you live with it that it's way bigger than that. Um, And so people's misunderstandings of it and the isolation you feel in having something that no one else you know has is incredibly difficult to come to terms with. So that was my turning point. And I would say... That cured me of all my perfectionism. It cured me of all the anxieties I had about in three years' time when my child goes to university, what's going to happen? Because I don't think about that anymore, really. I think about what's going to happen today and have we done enough work to plan for the thing she's going to do next weekend. That's about as far as I go. And that allows me to live in the moment, in the day that I'm in, the week that we're in, and enjoy the things that we've got, because I can't control the bigger stuff. But it wasn't until that big thing happened that I realised I can't control the big stuff. What a blow, no doubt, no doubt. Is there, and you then have to realise, for you listeners out there, uh, the blood sugar control is quite a uh, a huge thing. If you think about what you want to achieve when you guys are having that graving for whatever it is, let's say a donut, oh yummy, <laughs> what will happen is your blood sugar goes, yeah. and then you have got half an hour of bliss and energy, and then it comes crashing down because yeah. the insulin response comes and you're tired and you're whacked over the head. Well, that is just one donut or one chocolate bar, etc. And that is a healthy quotation mark response. That is a typical response to yeah. immediately dissolved and, and absorbed sugars. Yeah. Now, can you imagine if that is out of kilter? Can you imagine yeah. that in a young person who is already this cauldron of emotions and hormones and everything. Can you now imagine just, you know, putting some speed in there from now and then, and then putting some, I don't know, downers in there, shake before use. Here, darling, see what happens. That is essentially the life that you are living. It is. Yeah, effectively. And What I hadn't realized is insulin is a hormone uh, and so many other things in our bodies are hormones. And you get to learn this. Cortisol has an effect on blood sugar. Adrenaline has an effect on blood sugar. And those are all all kinds of levels in a teenager. Um, So it's impossible. And she can eat the donut 
but she has to take an insulin shot half an hour before and then wait while and watch her friends eating their donuts before she can eat hers to try and match it with that the arrival of that insulin in her system so it's yeah it's it's you know it's life-changing and but it's actually really good when you suddenly are confronted with what happens underneath the skin because then suddenly when you realize wow okay, now we have got cortisol levels high due to stress, let's say exams, or performance anxiety because she plays uh, Snow White in a play. Um, Mm. Well, you can imagine what kind of survival hormones go through the body as surges and the adrenaline, the cortisol, et cetera. So you can see what that does to you, how you respond to stress, how you sometimes become distressed Mm-hmm. And there we are. That is with a mature kind of hormonal system. Yeah. Um, now to actually imagine kiddos, young yeah, it's impossible. Boys and girls, both. Yeah, going. And it's interesting yeah. now that you say that. Now that we're discussing the diabetes, it's so blatantly obvious to me. Yet, have I thought about it in the last five years? Not a sausage. And that is the crazy thing. As as parents, we are so close to it. You just yeah. can't see the bloody yeah. forest from trees or trees for the forest, however round it goes. Yeah, totally. Exactly that. And actually, diabetes is fascinating. If I didn't have to live with it, I'd love to work with it. It has taught me so much about the body and so much about what goes on in their systems and why that therefore has an impact on their behavior and the way things are for them day to day. I, you know that saying that um, kids grow overnight or during the holidays, mm. and it's absolutely true, and you can see it in blood sugar levels because when you have growth hormone in your body, your blood sugar goes sky high and you need way, way, way more insulin to keep it regulated. And it happens in the night. So we, she's, you know, she's thankfully finished with most of her growing now. But when she was going through that big growth spurt that teenagers do, we would, I would see it. She'd go to bed. I'd know when she fell asleep because the blood sugar would start rising. With a monitor, we can see it every five minutes. It's great. But it would start rising. And after the first night, I'd know. And I'd go, oh, here we go again. I need to put a load of insulin into her body right now, way more than I would normally put in. And that's risky. But that's I know that's what I need to do. Because right now, in this moment, she's growing. And I could see it. It's fascinating. Honestly, I cannot tell you. It's, uh, it's, it would be so much fun if it wasn't so awful to live with. <laughs> well, the end results are so hard. And sometimes you nearly have to be a saint uh, to not get triggered by uh-huh. what comes out. Yeah. Um, from yeah. from the mouths of the, the little munchkins that we love so much. Oh, my goodness, completely. And you can see their hormonal response, and it's not controllable. Mm. They have no control over whether or not they tell you they hate you, whether they speak to you rudely, whether they're um, intolerant of their siblings. They, they actually... You you sit there and yell at them and say, that's rude. I told you that yesterday. I don't want to hear that again. Do not say that tomorrow. And of course, they say it tomorrow. It's not that they're deliberate. I know this. It's not that they're deliberately being 
really horrible kids it's that they have very little control over how they behave and of course as parents we've got to keep telling them that's rude you can't behave like that I don't want to see that again but you equally underneath it all have to kind of remember it's not personal they don't hate you they're not going to grow up to never speak to their brother again it's it's okay. It's just normal because they do come back to you. I'm sure you found that with your boys. Mm. They will be horrific to you. And then a few weeks later, and it can last for weeks. And then a few weeks later, they'll be called up on the sofa with you telling you they love you. Well, girls, maybe. No, my boy tells me he loves me. <laughs> you know, they, they, they're, they're just roller coasters. Oh. You're so right. You're so right. I like the idea we should implant them with a few chips. And then actually get sort of five minute printouts. I like that. I like that. There is, I think you are onto something there. We need to talk. Um, <laughs> uh, it is, it is one of these things. And it, it sounds weird to those of you guys out there who are not into physiology of, of the human body and who are not that, but um, it's, there are, there are people like Tim Ferriss and, and other people who very much are into nutrition and they, they do exactly that. They have good little probes implanted so that they can control exactly how they biohack their bodies. But we are now talking yeah. 20, 30, 40 years old uh, people who really are in tune with their bodies. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, this we can learn from them, but don't try that at home, kids. I don't think it <laughs> No, I mean hers it's a it's a medically she gets it from the hospital. It's a called it's um it's just a little it's little skin sensor that is taped to her with a tiny sensor in her skin and it gives her a blood sugar reading every five minutes and oh, it, nice. it can tell nice. her whether she's starting to rise start and needs more insulin starting mm. to drop and need some sugar mm. um and it just helps but as you say there are plenty of athletes starting to use exactly the same device to manage their blood sugar and keep themselves in a good range for performance and give themselves feedback on what their body does when they're doing certain exercises mm. and she's a skater she's she's an ice skater oh cool um so we can see, and again, it's fascinating, we can see what different kinds of exercise do to blood sugar levels. 24 hours after the exercise has been completed, it's quite, it is quite interesting. So it's interesting that you say athletes do use it. Mm. But here, hmm, interesting, interesting, interesting. Now that you that suddenly you had this curveball of diabetes uh, yeah. and your daughter. You were far more aware of the biological underlying reasons why moods go all over the show. Yeah. Having said that, um, it's one thing to understand why that happens. It's another thing to be able not to trigger and not to respond. Yeah. How did you learn that you seem to be a very uh, level-headed and calm person when it comes to that but i can't for a moment believe that this is a all the time and b uh it, it would have been a steep learning curve to say the least did you get some help do you did you see a life coach did you see someone yeah. who can who who held a mirror in front of your face and, and said hey look yeah this is what's happening 
Yeah, I, it's taken me years actually of unpicking the the grief of that, um, and in the process, I've unpicked other things that that I had before. Um, so, first of all, so it's been six years since her diagnosis. The first two years were just a whirlwind. And you know you go into survival mode and coping mode when something bad happens and you just get through it. And that's what I did for two years. And I didn't feel anything difficult in my body. I had anxiety. I had a lot of anxiety, a lot of physical symptoms and that. But I didn't feel, you know, I felt okay. I was coping. And it was only after those first two years when I kind of got to the point where I thought, yeah, I've got a handle on this now. I, I realise that I cannot keep a perfect blood sugar for her, that it is that all I can do is go with the flow. And I accepted that. And it, and it was an acceptance. It took a very long time to accept that. Um, that's when I suffered physical symptoms, when I relaxed about the thing that I was having to fight and stopped fighting it. So I also have fibromyalgia and I've had it for 30 years um, and it gets worse with stress. It gets worse when I'm not treating my body right. And of course, I wasn't treating my body right back then. Um, because I wasn't the focus. My child was the focus. Sure. Uh, so suddenly my pain was intolerable. We were talking about operations on my shoulders because it was that bad. Um, and I decided I needed help. And I actually, the NHS in the UK was brilliant. And I was sent to a pain management clinic where I had a very long spell of conversations with a wonderful woman who's a pain management consultant. And she helped me to manage my pain and my responses to pain, which would be, oh my God, my pain's so bad tonight. I can't sleep. I'm never going to get over this. This is all, I'm going to have to have an operation. I'll be crippled by the time I'm 80. My mother is, is in that situation. The anxiety and worry of that, she helped me manage that. But equally, she also helped me unpick the grief that I had necessarily buried of that diagnosis of my child um, and understand what that it was a huge knot of anxiety deep in my stomach that I that I didn't even realize was there and that was quite painful bringing that up um, so that I could notice it and deal with it. And I do still, as you say, get huge spells of anxiety. I had one yesterday. Now, why did I have that? Uh, do you know what? I, I think it was literally my son's birthday party happened yesterday. And I think I had a podcast recording and I had a, a guy came to put up a tent because we're socially distancing still um, so that the boys could watch a movie in the garden um, he came the wrong. He came early, and something else happened. You know, everything happened all at once. And I did. I thought, my God, I am having a gin when all this is over. My God, I need it now. You know, so I still have those moments. <laughs> but what the counselling taught me is to sit with those moments and acknowledge them for what they are, and notice that I need a gin. <laughs> <laughs> or a piece of cake or whatever it is that I would previously have had to numb the the 
the whirlwind that's going on inside my body because I don't want to have to deal with it right now because I've got a guy putting up a tent and a podcast to record. And the gin is actually a good thing to get rid of that so that I can carry on. But, and I, I, you know, I haven't given up drinking, but I do at 53 need to moderate. I really have to, because I can't tolerate it anymore. Can't cope the next day. And so I, I've learned to sit with difficult feelings and breathe or think differently or go for a quick jog or whatever it does to just take the edge off in a different way so that I can then sit down later and go gosh that was stressful and I handled it this way and I might handle it that way again or differently in the future and and to acknowledge that actually those big stress moments are always going to come because that's life there will or you can't avoid stress in life but you can manage how you deal with it and going back to the teenager thing no I do not always manage that beautifully and I do more frequently than I would like end up yelling sometimes swearing at my kids I do of course because they push all of my buttons at the same time for longer than I can cope with and I I break but what I do after that is say sorry I apologize to my kids and if there's one thing that I was able to instill into my boys I could after rehab I was able to role model that yes from now and then you fly off the handle and but then you actually acknowledge what was happening doesn't matter it doesn't need to be right now but you know get take 15 minutes out and then come back and get your shit straight in front of everyone and talk honest and humble and said look i really didn't handle that well guys yes you were dicks but the the way i responded was just stupid i do Mm. apologize so Mm. to actually stand like that stand like a man truly there in control of your own emotions is such a powerful thing. I think after a few good things I've done, that is what I was able to instill in them. And I see it other way around. The boys have taken that on and that's beautiful, but you have to model it. You have to date teenagers and younger kids will behave exactly like you behave. They're little mirrors and that's hard Mm -hmm. to swallow. So therefore, mm-hmm. when we talk about teenagers, we really need to talk about us. And that's bloody difficult, isn't it? That's emotions. Ugh, ugh. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Unless you it's go through, through something like you with your, your fibromyalgia and then get introduced to cognitive behavioral therapy like the CBT or or other other techniques that allow you to control your emotions in response to the in, invariable disasters and chaoses that life will throw at you. You are you're still on a very bad footing if you don't know these techniques. So therefore, it's, it's, if you're out there and at the moment just ripping your hair out, then high time to look at yourself and high mm. time to look after yourself and high time to learn to love yourself. Mm. And once you love yourself, then it's so much easier to work with the hormone bundle that happens to be your son or daughter. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, totally. And there is so much available now. I would always urge people to seek counselling or help. There's lot there's online things. If you, you don't even have to talk to anybody if you don't want to. There's all manner of things to learn, different coping strategies. But I do think um the thing that helped me to turn my corner, and it, you know, I'm still on that curve, was the the quite prolonged session sessions with this lady who and you need to click with someone as well you know I've seen people before but this woman I really clicked with and I really felt like she understood the things that I personally was dealing with um and she you know seeing someone isn't a cure it's I I think previously when I'd seen people I thought well I see this person for 10 weeks and I'll be sorted it's not it's it's a it's it's a schooling isn't it it's more of a t- it's always work you never are done with this but those those people will help you learn the techniques to manage the difficult things in your life that's how i look at it and guys i mean let's be real life changes life is very dynamic and you think you have sorted one thing out and you might have developed actually some really cool sets of skills that work for X, Y, and Z. Mm. And then you turn around and there over there with A, B, and C, there mm. is another wave of chaos coming where unfortunately those things, yeah, they don't work so well over there. Yeah. And you think, damn, you know, come on, guys. And <laughs> there it is. There it's it is. Bad. Have, that's right. You have to learn new things. And there's a new catastrophe. And there's yeah. certainly... I mean, this year with with COVID, but with many other things, 2020 was supposed to be my year. And oh. here we are. Every other day is some, some either a small bushfire or a bloody volcano going mm. up. And that's just within my family. And yeah. it's just... Mm. But yeah, it there's it always... Yeah, no, there's always going to be something. But I think it takes a lot of life lessons before you realise that there will be life lessons right up until the end. And it, it, it is about navigating those curves in the happiest way possible. And I, I think, you know, going back to the teenagers, I really think for me, it's in it's it's definitely about instilling those realisations in our kids as early as possible so that they have the tools to cope with what life throws at them. And I, I look at teenagers now, and I'm sure it's always been the way, but I, I think they have some of them. I mean, you know, I'm only 53. I, I don't know what's coming, but I feel like my kids are going through the time of their lives that is going to be the most stressful unless something terrible happens to them. Because the the pressures to succeed at school now are immense. The schools put a ton of academic pressure on them. The pressure to get a great job, to perform, to be a professional, to be a lawyer. Our schools are desperate for our kids to be scientists and doctors and lawyers. Um, To be a good sibling, to be a good child, to look after your parents, to, to, to be... And that's before we get started on the internet and social media and to look right and to have the best boyfriend and to drink the most alcohol in the park or, you, you know, to all of those things that our kids are dealing with. I think it is mega, mega stressful as well as the hormones that they've got going on. Um, so I think as parents to realize what they're going through is so important and then to know to have the tools to help them and i think parents of teenagers struggle because they 
they don't necessarily have those tools and they're not easy to find. Um, whereas when you when I started, I, I, I was writing about the cute and funny anecdotes of, of kids and the crazy things they did that made life difficult for me as a mum. There would be another 200 mums on the Internet talking about exactly the same thing. So I could finish my day and sit in front of my laptop and go, oh, God, it's all right. This is just normal. Everyone else is going through it. But when they're teenagers, suddenly that information dries up. Parents do not talk openly on the internet about the crap that's going on with their teenagers because their teenagers can read it, and so can their friends. So all that anecdotal advice just dries up, and there's nothing and I think that's a, that's a reason why teenagers struggle. Sorry, I've just given you an enormously long answer with myriad different paths down it. But oh, no. teenagers need to learn coping strategies and to realise that life is not perfect. And parents need coping strategies to help their teens. And need to learn that life is not perfect. And because we know life was not perfect for us. So what do we do? We completely transfer absolutely everything that was ever wrong in our life. Oh, no, no, no. That won't happen with my child. And then you have got the additional pressure because some shit has happened with your parents Mm -hmm. and you. There's Mm -hmm. no doubt about that. I was, uh, I don't, whatever happened with me, I didn't have a great childhood, but I certainly am more academically driven and more probably strict and I want to lie I want to put lines into the sand for my boys Mm. my wife had a very different upbringing more Mm -hmm. stricter therefore for her now to be strict to the boys no 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 now she wants them to have the freedom and sort of you've got all these kind of dynamics happening and that is normal that is yeah. just a, a flow-down effect, a trickle-down effect from the problems that you had as a teenager. You might not realize that you had them, but you were, you, were, you were affected by things. And those things that might be as, as simple as someone looking bad at you or a harsh word that was said that you never forgot and that was so going against your 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 upset emotional mm-hmm. state as a teenager and it was deeply ingrained in your brain but then you yeah. forget about it you put heaps yeah. of stuff on top and and then suddenly you have got teenagers again and now that shit comes up back out so there you are you're dealing with your own teenager years where things are left undealt with and now you're dealing with your teenager and you're dealing with actually the teenage period of your significant other because mm-hmm. your husband, your wife is the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's a chaos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. So it's fascinating. Was, oh well, <laughs> I'm too close to it. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm just that. coming home, <laughs> try to gauge. Okay, do I need to resuscitate or do I need to kill someone? No. <laughs> Good. Has someone cooked me dinner? No. Okay. Um, fine. Has someone taken the trash out? No. Good as usual, uh, and so on. It's 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 that kind of a thing, and it is. I find myself still actually rolling with the punches, trying to 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 lead a life that they can role model from, 
But that doesn't mean to say that with even all my insight as a doctor and and as a, as a as an alcoholic in recovery, uh, even with all those tools, it doesn't mean to say that it's easy. Uh, no, no, and it's firefighting, isn't it? A lot of the time, that's parenting. It's firefighting because you're not in control of your of your situations because there's two or three or more individuals impacting on it in their own way all of the time. Exactly. And that's that's where I'm intrigued because you run a podcast, don't you? Mm-hmm. A podcast where you actually try to tease apart those teenage experiences, but you tease them apart in the grown-ups and yeah. try to figure out talking to so-called adults. Um, yeah. Sometimes that might be a rather loose term, uh, but at least biologically they should be adult um, yeah. and talking with them about the things that happened to their to them when they were teenagers yeah. isn't it tell yeah, us a bit exactly. about that yeah well i i wanted to start a podcast um i've wanted to do it for a long time and um you know i'm a writer i write about parenting and kids um and um and my writing it was all cute and funny stuff that happened with my toddlers um on a on a typical mummy blog um, that did really well, and that's how I make my living. But as soon as they got past the age of eleven or twelve, well, before that, really, they weren't funny anymore. They just weren't funny in the same way, and they weren't as cute. And so there was less to write about, and I struggled for a while to know how to write about them that was engaging. And then, without me realizing they became teenagers with another whole set of problems worth writing about, but I could not write about it. As I said before, you can't write about your own children's problems when they're teenagers because A, they can read it, B, their friends can read it, C, their friends' parents can read it, (laughs) and D, they're way more complex problems and they're bigger and more impactful than the problems they had when they were three. So... I did not know how to get this stuff out there. Um, And I thought, when I decided to start the podcast, I was thinking, right, who can I interview? Can I interview my own kids? No, they won't tell me anything. Can I interview their friends? No, because they probably will not tell me everything. Can I interview their friends' parents? No, because they've got the same problem as me. They don't want to talk openly about their kids' problems. And so... I got to the point where I thought, do you know what? I can interview adults who went through something difficult as a teenager, who a teenager can relate to because they're talking about it from their point of view, but who also has the benefit of hindsight and can give tips, resources, help, support, insight to the kids going through that right now. Um, And also ideas to the parents, even though some of them are not parents themselves, ideas to the parents of how they might have liked to have been supported as teenagers differently, perhaps, to how they were. And so I'm hoping that it's a win-win for parents and teenagers alike. Now, for teenagers, I'm going to have to put it on YouTube. (laughs) I don't think teenagers listen to podcasts, but if I can figure out how to put it on YouTube, then uh, then we'll we'll be winning. Um, So, yeah, I've had, surprisingly, a lot of volunteers with very difficult stories. I was quite shocked by how many people wanted to tell more difficult stories than I'd imagined, actually. 
but they've been fascinating interviews to record. Uh, lots of people have given me feedback to say they were wonderful to listen to. And no matter what the subject matter, there is always a take home that any parent can use on the smallest of problems with their teenagers. So I started with a lady who was expelled from school when she was 14 and she's in her 30s now. Um, and I thought that was, you know, that although not that many kids get expelled from school, although there are a few, quite a lot of kids flirt with that and get close to it. And quite a lot of parents are dealing with kind of what the school would term behavioural issues. So that was interesting to see from the other side. It was a lovely conversation, actually. It's, it's probably my most downloaded podcast. Which is beautiful. I mean, that these are the, the, the kind of stories from which we can learn. More importantly, where we see that we're not the only ones. And I think yes, that, is, exactly. that, is, that is what I do with, with recovery and with sobriety. I bring it out there that it is normal. We are all struggling with our problems. And some of us and a lot of us have, have reached to the bottle far too many times. But uh -huh. it's the same with, with the depression. It's the same with the, the anxiety, with all these kind of things. They are they're essentially normal. They are yeah. so prevalent, so common out there. Yet, when you're experiencing them, you feel so full of shame and full of guilt. Yes. And full of, you, you just want to take the whip out and whip yourself a little bit. How dare I feel these bad emotions? Yes. Unbelievable. But it is. It is. And that's that's why I want to speak out. And that's why I have people like you on 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 my show and vice versa your podcast is beautiful because you're talking about the hard topics there and you talk to people who have gone through and are now out the other end now yeah. when they were in their darkest moment there was maybe an uncertainty if they ever were to come out yes but now they totally. are they are yeah and yeah they might have done things that are that they were not proud of Sometimes mm -hmm. people do all kinds of things like self-harm or like, mm -hmm. like, like slow self-harm, which is the addictions yeah. um, or, or, or there's so many things and mm -hmm. none of us are happy about it. None of us are no. proud about it. We all try to, to hide it. That's probably the worst thing you can do, but it, mm -hmm. you don't realize that until, until something has occurred where you actually had to open up. That's the most cherished moment in virtually everyone when they reach their breaking point when they mm. have to accept that alone they can't continue in the way they have been going regardless what the problem is it's mm. that realization that's that opening up suddenly the clarity to say no enough is enough and that's guys i, I wish it to all of you out there who are with all your problems, I hope you soon come to that point because it's from there on where your recovery can start, your your growth can start, your self-love can start, and then yeah. you can deal with the problems in such a different way. That rock bottom thing is really important, isn't it? Because you can struggle with, and this happens with um, a lot of my podcast guests, 
I can, they tell me their story and I can see the moment where they got to their rock bottom and changed it. Mm. Um, Some of them, some of them alone-ish, but because their circumstances changed, they changed their circumstances, maybe not realizing that's what they were doing, but that allowed them to then move forward and leave the things behind. Um, You mentioned self-harm and one of my favorite interviews is a woman who self-harmed from the age of 14 for 10 years. Uh, And she admits that when she stopped, she used alcohol for a while to replace that. Um, And it dawned on me as you were talking that you're right, every, all of these things are a form of self-harm. I have um, a wonderful young man who I haven't published yet um, for my new series, um, who suffered with bulimia as a teenager, badly, really badly. Um, And it took moving moving hometown to live with other people and in a different place for him to be able to shift and and manage that that eating disorder manage that affliction manage that self-harm that he was doing to himself um and you know as he talked I could see that as a teenager he didn't even realize in fact he said that he didn't even realize that what he was doing was a thing. It was just something that made him feel better in the moment. Mm. But yes, they all went through a journey of getting to the point where they realized something had to change. Mm. And then they've been inspiring in terms of saying, what could I have done earlier? What could someone else have done earlier to help me not get to that point or get through it a bit quicker before it became life dominating but as many things these things creep up on you it's not one day that you say you know what i fancy becoming an alcoholic Mm -hmm. it doesn't work like that or Mm. hey i want to have a real severe eating disorder Mm. Mm. (laughs) no No, it doesn't no it's all just dealing with emotions in the moment isn't it and then It just becomes the thing. It becomes the crutch. What's the name of your podcast? It's called Teenage Kicks. Teenage Kicks. Okay. Now, if you search Teenage Kicks on um, on iTunes, you will obviously get a rock song, <laughs> a punk rock song. I think it's punk rock or is it punk pop? Uh, you have to search Teenage Kicks podcast <laughs> and uh, and ignore all the music suggestions. Okay, that's cool. I think you've got a new subscriber um, because uh, I'm, I'm all intrigued now to, to hear more uh, about that because it's those journeys where people talk honestly about their feelings, often very painful feelings, yeah. that then change the whole dynamic for them. Yeah. It was for me to speak up and the first time in rehab, tell my story and tell tell my frustration and my emotions, etc., was actually an incredibly liberating and beautiful experience. It is, it, yeah, it is to actually be honest mm. and no longer care about what people think about you. It's mm-hmm. the most beautiful feeling them absolutely beautiful and mm-hmm. I think uh, prior to to this interview we had a little chat and you were saying that 
that you did your interviews typically face to face because it was not so uncommon that people would cry and would show their their emotions. Were these always tears of pain or were they tears to a certain degree of relief of 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 finally coming out with something that was burdening them for such a long time? I think it was more recognition because these are people who've gone through the process and come out the other side. Um, and I desperately wanted that so that we could offer a positive perspective to mm -hmm. families who might be going through terrible things. Mm. Um, but I think um, I'm thinking of two of them right now. I think it was recognition of those young people in their past and what they had gone through and what they had suffered, because I think they were brave through all of it um, and came out the other side and recognized that they're in a good place and that's okay. And that happened, but never mind, we're fine now. I think in each case, they went back to that 14 year old girl, 16 year old boy, whoever it was in their past and had a moment of sadness and recognition of the values of that person. And that's what brought the tears. Beautiful. And that is the work that we need to do with ourselves mm -hmm. because it is those emotions that we have bottled up and, and buried and think that they are so deep down there that they are no longer relevant. Totally. You're right. You're right. They're a bit like an abscess. And that's just mm -hmm. festering and festering. Mm. The infection might be slowly poisoning you and you don't even know it. And it might yeah. trigger uh, some of your responses, some of your flying off the handle left, right and center, some of your being impatient, being a real road rage guy, mm. things like that where, where you, you think, why is a person behaving the way they are? And there's virtually always a trauma there. There's virtually yeah. always something in the, in the background that people might not even realize. Yeah. So, yes. Absolutely. We should have mandatory rehab for everyone. God. Everyone. Do you know years. what? <laughs> I think everybody should have counseling throughout their whole lives. Teenagers start with it because they start with friendship issues, insecurities about their appearance, all manner of problems begin in adolescence. And I honestly think you're right at being, but you know what? We can, as families and friends, we can do that for each other. I hear that, you know, that line, um, about well it, it it's about being heard and you can you cannot choose what happens to you in many cases and you cannot choose other people's reactions to you but you can choose your own emotional response to that and i love that line because it's it's our, our responses and reactions are very often innate and we don't even really you mentioned road rage we don't even realize that we're doing them for any particular reason as you said but if you're working on how you respond emotionally to things because it's painful for you, not the other person, um, then that's, that's a really good line. But I think it needs to be taught. Mm. And I think we can 
do that for our kids and and other members of our family and say look you know I see why you responded the way you did I totally get that that and and be and and let them be heard that must have felt very frustrating this must feel painful for you that must have been embarrassing and naming their feelings I think you know, the biggest thing I got from my counselling and when I mentioned that she, I really clicked with my um, practitioner was the feeling of being heard and not judged. Mm. And I'm guessing that was similar for you when, when you went mm. to rehab. The feeling of being able to say, this is how I felt and not have her say, oh, well, you shouldn't have felt like that. You could have felt like this, you know? I'd have her nod and say, yeah, I can see that that was incredibly painful. I understand that. That was like unlocking a padlock for me to go through the gate and breathe and say what I felt was valid. I was right, but I can now change that for my future. So true. I think... Yes, when I was in rehab, everyone who treated me, bar two people, everyone was an alcoholic or a druggie. And they all had gotten clean and were now doing what they were doing, be it the counselor, the caseworker, the nurse, the yoga instructor, the fitness guy, the chef, all of them, all Mm. of them. And this was such a beautiful thing for me to see that all of them, have been in the same boat as I. I didn't believe that initially. I thought, no, they're bullshitting. But no, mm. it turned out they were all basically broken people. Yeah. And that's why I do the work that I do now, that I'm opening up and say, we are all broken to a certain degree. And so stop bullshitting, stop hiding, and actually be, be brave enough to look yourself in the mirror and say, wow, you're really struggling with that, whatever that is. Mm. And actually see, well, are there other people out there who equally have struggled with that and now have have sorted it out? So what did they do? Try to find these people, try to talk mm. to these people and then figure out, okay, who has helped you? Because it's all quite nice to say, wow, I had that perfect guy who happens to be in the UK. Well, that's not very helpful to me in New Zealand. So maybe you need to look a bit closer to home uh, and Mm. see, is there actually someone here who you don't know about? And you think, wow, there is this this beautiful, beautiful, kind soul, which is an expert in exactly that that is bothering me. Wow, how did I not know about that? Well, the Mm. answer is easy because you never opened up and actually shared Mm -hmm. that you had that problem. Had you spoken to your friend, had you spoken to your to your work colleague and said, wow, I'm really struggling with that. He might have said, well, actually, me too. And here's a telephone number of X. So I think that is the thing that is that's so striking me every single day in my workplace, uh, it's just anesthesia. So I'm not talking to the patient there. I'm talking to the people who work around me. They're all having their problems. They're all struggling. They're all having their things. But slowly but surely, we have actually, uh, without doing big things, we have actually introduced a culture where we can be open and honest. 
and it's now more common than not that someone comes to me at the start of a list uh, where we are working you now six seven people together and says look last night i couldn't sleep i'm probably running on 80 percent here can you just keep an eye on me um that i will probably stuff up and that i might make little mm. mistakes here and there let's just you know look out beautiful open honest no bullshitting no mask no i'm fine i'm fine yeah <laughs> we do that don't we well exactly and it's that kind of thing and that that is beautiful to see that openness and humility and honesty coming through in the workplace and therefore us becoming safer teams in theater and yeah. more effective teams and teams that go home nodding to each other and say, wow, that was a shit day, but we did really well, <laughs> kind of a thing. Because they, the days will be not all perfect. It yeah, is just, yeah. yeah. Oh, hell. So teenage kicks, I think, you know, when you, if you guys are out there struggling with, with, with your teenagers or maybe struggling with your past yes. that has never been resolved, then I can imagine far worse places than actually listening to some of the stories on your podcast and maybe thinking about maybe knocking on, on your door, uh, Helen, to say, well, actually, I've got a story. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, yes, about, please. Well, that's right. I mean, how would you feel if, if people sort of approach you and say, hey, um, you know, how do I go about becoming a guest on your show? Yeah, absolutely. I'm always looking for good stories and I'm, you know, it, it, anything that will help other people going through their own struggles is worth telling. So yeah, definitely. There's um, contact details on on all of my podcast episodes or on my blog. You can find me. It's, it's, so again, Teenage Kicks out there and on which platform are you? Are you podcasting? All of them. Yeah, pretty much all of them. Yeah, good. yeah. For those of you who are new to the post podcast scene, uh, there is each and every one of us who has got a podcast. It is hosted by one server farm somewhere, and that might be Buzzsprout or, or Podbean or whatsoever. So, and then this information is being sent out to telephone directories, so to speak. So telephone yeah. books. And that is then the iTunes, the, yeah. all the other big platforms out there. They're nothing. They don't host anything. They are no. redirecting the information to the little surfer farm where I'm at home or where Helen is at home. So yeah. therefore, um, if you go to wherever you like to listen, that could be iTunes or or, or any kind of deep that... Uh, um, Spotify, podcast, Spotify. Mm -hmm. There's so many out there. Um, any of them, um, I have enrolled with most of them. Helen probably too. So you should be able to find us. If you can't find us on your particular platform, maybe go to another platform uh, and look there. But iTunes seems to be the biggest one, um, and I certainly am in there as well. Yeah. So that's cool. Um, no. Let's be open, guys. Let's be honest with each other. Let's be honest with our children. And let's model that we are not perfect. That we are, that we want to do the right thing. And that sometimes our desire might be misleading us. And that we, I don't know. There's so many, so many emotions. And it's constantly changing in me, my kids, the interaction of which... Uh, it's it's just let's make the most out of it and give 
us the benefit of the doubt. Look into your own anger. Why are you getting so short with your kids? Is it because you're hungry, angry, tired, lonely, thirsty? Are these sort of the, is that really what's going on? Are the kids really the, the dickheads that you think they are? Or is it actually that you need a bit of a break and that you need to actually look after yourself? So good question to ask next time before you explode. And then the other thing is if they're exploding, yeah, well, how do you deal with that? And do what you can do and then give them a hug if they let you. If they don't let you, still give them a hug. <laughs> sometimes that works <laughs> you just hold them and they, they they can jump up and down but that's it you just keep holding them until they laugh and then <laughs> yeah. it does it does work <laughs> cool oh helen it was such a lovely lovely interview thank you so much for being honest and and let's and just chatting with me because we all have got the same frustrations and you would have gone through some hard times with your kiddos but there you are positive and and trying to figure out what's the underlying thing that is happening and and bring it out there in the form of your stories so you're a storyteller so to speak which is wonderful yeah. wonderful wonderful because that is the more stories we can listen to uh, the more we can learn. We don't have to, to do all the, the mistakes ourselves. I'm very good in that. I mean, and, and I don't just make them once. I make them five, six times oh, just yeah. to be sure, okay? Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, so, so, but, you know, maybe it helps to listen to others and actually get some insights what worked for them or what bothered them. And like today, it's in this interview with you, I actually... You dug up some things in my teenage years, which I need to think about now, um, mm. because it is it is it is what it is. They were not nice times, and mm. uh, half of them are buried and never were dealt with. And you know, they're coming out. It is what it is. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I never want any parent to be scared of the teenage years, and that's something I see a lot of. I never want that. Right. Because it's good. We can get through it. Um, but as you say, yeah, listening to other people's stories helps. Helen, thank you so much for your time, for your effort, for your your tenacity to be out there and to collect these witness statements. Because you're doing it to make this world a little bit of a better place, one interview after the other. And that's exactly how I work. This world needs the help, all the help it can get at the moment. So let's let's keep working out there let's work together let's collaborate uh yeah. all of us and god we might even even change the way that people think and and make that a bit of a nicer place yeah absolutely thank you so much for having me it's been an brilliant absolute honor you guys out there look after yourself have a fantastic time until the next video bye yeah.